Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Buzz in Behavioral Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Mac Whited, and today I have Carmina Vallier uh, in the podcasting virtual studio, and we're going to talk about all of the cancer programming at SBM. So I will leave Carmina to introduce herself. Hi, Matt. It's great to be here with you today. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Carmina Valle. I'm an assistant professor of nutrition at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and a member of the UNC uh, Lineberger Comprehensive Cancer Center. And um, I'm a co-chair, currently one of the co-chairs of the cancer topic area abstracts for the SBM annual meeting. Great. So you, you've been part of seeing all these coming through the line as they were getting reviewed and and ready. And, um, you know, I went and looked through all the cancer programming and I think you all have the most, you know, paper sessions, uh, seminar, you know, of all the excluding poster sessions, the most programming of, of all the areas. So there must've been a lot of work there, <laughs> uh, reviewing all of that for the, for the meeting. Yeah, I hadn't realized, I think I knew we are typically one of the larger um, areas that we get receives abstracts. And so fortunately, I had two other chairs working with me to review, I think over 90 or so abstracts and, you know, grateful for all of the service that other um, reviewers, you know, took the time to help us uh, evaluate these, these abstracts. So it's super exciting to see it all come together um, and, and at the conference. So yeah, that's wonderful. So what catches your eye of this long list of presentations? Yeah, well, so many things, as you know, as you mentioned, a long list, but um, I'll just highlight a few, you know, um, looking at some of the, um, in particular, the symposia, there's a couple and they're at the same time, so I'm going to have to choose between the two, but um, one in particular that um, called attention to me was the one that's focused on um, from research ideas to programs in the community, a look at cancer-related lifestyle interventions at different stages. Um, and so there, you know, have a number of presenters, one that'll speak about um, a pilot study um, focused on, um, they're going to present research in the early phase. So it's a pilot study uh, looking at sleep, a sleep and physical activity intervention for cancer prevention among African-American adults. Um, and then they have another speaker who will be presenting preliminary findings from a pilot physical activity that utilizes glucose-based biofeedback in cancer survivors. And then a third speaker on the process of transitioning from a randomized controlled trial to a scaled-up program that focuses on nutrition and psychosocial wellness for cancer survivors. Um, and so that's really, that's really great. I mean, all of these are really talking about how do we get our technology out to people who aren't getting it? How do we incorporate it instead of, you know, working, well, in addition to working endlessly to, to make better programs and better <laughs> interventions, you know, we still have to get them to people. There's that lag. Um, so it's wonderful to hear about all of this work kind of being done in that area. Exactly. Yeah. And I really appreciate that they're, um, you know, highlighting, emphasizing, you know, thinking about implementation from the very beginning, even in the pilot phase, uh, you know, process of your work. And um, I think they'll have practical suggestions for conducting research and working with diverse communities as well. And so I'm looking forward to hearing more about their work and how we can implement that um, in, you know, other lifestyle interventions for cancer prevention and control. 
It really, really ties in with the the meeting theme, you know, the urgency of adaptation. And one of the subcategories there is, you know, trying to do what we can about systemic racism and certainly doing work with underrepresented groups uh, is a big piece of that, uh, both to enrich our literature, which can be racially biased sometimes, um, and enrich communities. Exactly. Yeah. Um that's, you know, certainly an emphasis of, of my work as well. And I, my work is around digital behavioral interventions, particularly for cancer survivors and promoting mm-hmm. uh, weight management, um, physical activity, healthy nutrition. And so, um, you know, super excited to learn from all of these presenters um, and, and build upon their work. So. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that about your work. So I'm actually, I'm in Greenville, so I'm right down the street from you. So oh, okay. um, I'm hoping that, uh, well, down the street in a big state, but, yeah. um, I'm hoping that, you know, some of that digital work also reaches our folks because we're out here kind of a lot of rural communities and, and digital work can really help to reach out to those groups. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, working with cancer survivors, we know that, you know, oftentimes people don't want to go back to where they were treated. There's some Certainly, you know, some experiences they had there that could trigger some issues. And so um, scaling up our programs, developing digital programs that can reach people where they live, work and play is something, um, you know, I think is really important to helping reach survivors in rural communities, like you mentioned, um, but just, uh, you know, all over the country. Um, so certainly appreciate that work. Yeah. Well, that, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, that um, folks don't like to return to the places they receive their treatment. and. I mean, it makes sense now that you say it, but it's, uh, you know, something I never really thought about. So the importance of getting into people's communities is, is even, even larger. Um, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, um, here at UNC, um, we're a public institution. And so we serve, you know, our catchment area really is the whole state. And so we serve patients from all over North Carolina, whether it be rural and urban communities. And so, you know, in, in working with cancer survivors um, for a number of years now and hearing their stories, some people um, are happy to, you know, have good, great uh, relationships with their clinicians, going back and seeking care and getting follow-up care for their survivorship. Um, but also for some, it's really, it's a long distance to travel. And um, like I said, can trigger some some memories that they would maybe not want to keep. So, yeah, move beyond that. Yeah, yeah. So you also mentioned that, you know, there were two symposia that really kind of caught your eye uh, to start. So what's the second one? Yeah, so um, the second one is in, on innovations in cancer control and prevention across the lifespan. And I think they're at the same time, so it's going to be really tough for me to decide between the two. But um, this other one um, focuses on, you know, there'll be four different studies presented um, that address components of the cancer control continuum um, across the lifespan, so spanning from adolescence to adulthood. And much of my work focuses on adolescent and young adult cancer survivors specifically. So I'd be curious to um, to hear from all these different speakers. And, you know, the discussion at the end will be really exploring opportunities to involve individuals across the lifespan, across the lifespan um, in terms of cancer prevention and control. And so, um, and improving health outcomes among, you know, survivors and relatives. So, that is certainly um, something I'll be looking at, and I might have to go back and forth between the two different symposia. But um, but I think all of the it looks like a great speaker lineup, um, and so uh, that's exciting for me too. So 
Well, hopefully you have a colleague or student or someone who can attend the one that you can't and exactly. give you some good notes. Yes. Report back. Yes. So. That's right. <laughs> I mean, with so much cancer programming, it's probably kind of hard to keep any of it from overlapping. Um, it is. Yeah. 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 Um, so what's some other things that you're excited about for the conference? Yeah. So I, I noticed um, a few paper sessions that really caught my eye. Um, so there's one on um, integrative and digital health for cancer. And so I do in my own work, um, developing digital interventions. And so this symposia, um, you know, has a few studies, one looking at uh, reporting on the pilot testing of a dyadic versus individual yoga intervention for caregivers specifically, which I thought was interesting. Um, they've had another uh, trial, uh, that, another presentation that presents on uh, trial on yoga and cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia um, and the effects on these interventions on cancer-related fatigue. And this was, a, I think, a multi-center, a large trial. It looked um, very interesting and was excited to hear about the results of that. And then uh, another Presentation on digital cognitive behavioral stress management programs. So all of these, I think, um, you know, delivered in digital formats. And so I'm curious to learn um, about, you know, how these programs were provided in those different formats and sort of implications for for the future and how we develop and, and deliver digital programming for cancer survivors. Yeah, and especially, you know, I keep thinking back to the the patients from from our region and, and some of the things you had mentioned earlier that, you know, folks aren't necessarily able to or want to come back into the place where they're getting their medical treatment, the, the, the chemotherapy or radiation or whatever is part of their treatment. Um, they don't necessarily want to go back to those places. So having these digital health ways that like reach out to them and get them kind of this needed stuff to help them cope with the treatment itself and, and the aftercare as well. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I think um, we see that not only in that paper session, but a lot of other, uh, whether it's some of the live sessions or um, posters, probably, I didn't get a chance to look at the posters, but I'm sure a lot of um, folks doing exciting work involving digital tools, and especially, you know, since we've been in a pandemic for the last couple of years, um, leveraging technology um, in different ways to, to continue to reach um, populations and keep our science and research going during this, this period of time. So, Yeah, I'm really hoping to see um, even more of an explosion of digital health-related <laughs> care um, mm -hmm. post-pandemic, because what the, what the pandemic did is force us all to get good at it. <laughs> exactly. you know, if we wanted to remain clinically active and research active, we had to get good at that stuff. Um, but so did our patients. Uh, you know, a lot of them had to figure out, you know, how to use Zoom or whatever video conferencing system that they were that their um, hospital or providers were were using. And so I'm hoping to see that this can continue, but in a selective way. So we decide, you know, who who's going to work? Who's the, who's this going to work best for? And, um, you know, when when should it be used for what? You know, we have like so many new research questions now that we have hopefully a bigger population of people who are adept with technology. Exactly. Yeah. And there was, I think I noticed one, I believe is a research spotlight that compares two different delivery modes of supportive care for um, digital health intervention. I think in that case, they were looking at and the feasibility of using um, Alexa. So sort of the voice uh, mm -hmm. um, 
voice response system um, versus uh, using a tablet, I think, in that one. So again, a lot of different examples of, of interesting technologies and things we can learn about um, uh, you know, perceptions among um, cancer survivors and, and cancer patients and how they use these tools in the future. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought so much about, uh, you know, what, what pops into my head when I think of digital technology are apps and video conferencing, you know, web meetings and that sort of thing. But I hadn't thought about, you know, changing that modality to make it more accessible as well um, to using voice commands and voice interface and voice interactions, which, um, you know, the technology I use at least is getting better and better at that all the time. Uh, in terms of even taking dictation, sometimes I decide to write emails just through my phone instead of typing because it's just easier <laughs> and, and things like that. You know, there's 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 uh, there's a lot of richness out there of technology, you know, tools <laughs> to that we can put to use. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there was another uh, maybe another spotlight that uh, with using technology believe Fitbits, and I often use Fitbits in my work, and I have a lot of other uh, researchers using different digital trackers for physical activity or weight and wireless scales. Um, there was one presentation that was um, using that in conjunction with peer support. Um, so we know for cancer survivors that um, peer-to-peer support can be very important, um, and using technology-mediated peer support uh, may be helpful to support whether it's quality of life improved physical activity. And so there are a few sessions, I believe, that um, focused on uh, or, you know, had interventions that involve peer-to-peer support specifically. Oh, that's really exciting. And I imagine that's a great way to provide peer support too. Like if if I was a a, someone who had, you know, experienced what what, uh, cancer patients have experienced, it would be a wonderful way to provide support to other people going through it, like through, you know, digital means. So we don't have to like get a support group together and have people come in. And so that's so onerous for folks, especially when they're post-treatment um, exactly. that, uh, I mean, that'd be wonderful to be able to, to have a digital interface for that. Yeah, exactly. exactly so, yeah. And um, I know there was another paper session Again, probably involving some digital technology here, but this uh, this session was focused on uh, health promotion and um, cancer survivorship, and that's sort of the umbrella that a lot of my work falls under. So I was particularly um, interested in that session, um, and was excited to see um, one of the papers here um, in reporting on the design of a study that uses the multi-phase optimization strategy. So you may uh, most framework. Um, yeah. So in this particular trial, they are um, optimizing an intervention, a dietary, a nutrition and physical activity intervention specifically for colorectal cancer survivors. So excited to hear more about their approach as they, um, and, you know, as they implement this study. Um, that's another area of my work. I'm doing some work around optimization. So it's always exciting to see when others are also um, working in this space as well. I know there's also an optimization SIG. Um, and many of the members of the cancer SIG also overlap with the, the optimization SIG. So that should be exciting. Um, and there's a couple of other papers in that session, the health promotion and cancer survivorship, um, that I thought looked interesting as well. One is focused on, um, um, chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy. Um, and so looking at this, I, this is some early work around, um, 
exercise interventions to um, to promote improvements in peripheral neuropathy. Um, and what was exciting about that um, that presentation as well is that they're also looking at the sort of brain circuitry underpinning some of those um, potential changes, so some of the underlying biological mechanisms. So I thought that was particularly exciting as well. So you said you you do some some work with the most um, format, like the optimization format. Did, where did you learn about that? Because I I think I heard of it first in SBM. Yeah, so I think I first heard of it at SBM as a few years ago, um, and then I was applied for. Was fortunate to be um, to attend um, a training, a specific training on the multi opt multi phase optimization strategy um, that Linda Collins. Um, had developed. Um, and so she um, and her colleagues uh, ran this amazing program. This was back in 2019. Um, so I think it was a multiple day format with a, a small group of us where we learned um, more about the multi-phase optimization strategy and different approaches. Um, and then since then, I've continued to be engaged with that particular SIG, um, which is also active in promoting that um, that framework as well. Yeah, and I, I was about to look it up, but I think I'm correct on this. I think there is a most trial pre-conference workshop. <laughs> I believe um, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty positive on that. So, you know, anyone who's listening is interested in learning more. There's always someone speaking about it at SBM, um, but there's also a pre-conference workshop to kind of give people the more in-depth introduction. Um, exactly. And it's just, a, it's, it's a great way to be efficient about our work. Um, and really create something that when we scale up to a big trial is much more likely to be successful. So w- one interesting thing I heard you mention is uh, with the, the um, presentation on physical activity and peripheral neuropathy. And I always love those kind of interventions. I, I do some cardiac rehab work and, and anything where the health behavior is kind of counterintuitive to the patient, right? So you've got a patient who you know, probably doesn't want to do much physical activity if they're experiencing peripheral neuropathy. But what it turns out is that's kind of the best thing. <laughs> so it's, it's it's always those are I love those kind of interventions, because um, especially looking at from the patient perspective, they really learn a lot from uh, being able to engage in the thing that is challenging for them. Exactly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think the area of peripheral neuropathy is a newer area. Um, we're trying to understand how exercise specifically may um, improve that. Um, but I know, you know, with fatigue, uh, many cancer survivors, you know, fatigue is a, is a huge um, issue for them. And so it's sort of that same thing you mentioned, counterintuitive, actually doing activity can help um, address fatigue and improve fatigue levels. And so you might feel like you're, it's hard to take that first step and, and get moving. But um Ultimately, that can help you improve um, with fatigue and feel better in the long run. So, Yeah, and that's why I think it takes skilled providers and a well-constructed treatment um, to do that kind of work. And I, I just love that challenge and love seeing that change in patients when they realize, oh, it, it actually is getting better, even though I'm doing the thing that, that I was afraid would make it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's some other... Um, presentations on physical activity that that caught my eye in particular there's a paper session on physical activity and breast cancer um, survivorship Um, and there's uh, one paper being presented um, that looks at um, 
sort of moderators of a physical activity um, intervention during the maintenance period. Um, and so they, um, I thought it was interesting, they identified different profiles of participants, and these are breast cancer survivors, um, who, and the different profiles that, um, of, of participants who benefited from three different types of physical activity maintenance programs. So there's been a lot of, you know, evidence to date on interventions to promote physical activity adherence in the short term, but far fewer studies about physical activity maintenance among cancer survivors. Um, and I appreciate that this work will help to identify, you know, provide some guidance for, you know, what works for whom um, in the physical activity maintenance space. And this um, particular study also um, involves peers. Um, so again, peer support. Um, Here we go and, again. Yeah. And providing guidance in particular for cancer care organizations to implement maintenance programs if they have, you know, peer, peer volunteers working with them. So I thought that one in particular caught my eye. Um, and then there's another presentation during that session on physical activity and breast cancer survivorship um, that reports on a 10-week cognitive behavioral stress management intervention um, and its effects on physical activity. So um, again, um, it's all very exciting to me. I sort of geek out on all this. Yeah. I'm excited about physical activity interventions um, and you know how we develop and design and, and, um, and implement these. So. Yeah, that's really fascinating to think about how to incorporate um, like major cancer organizations uh, with that. Because I know a lot of people become involved in things like ACS and various mm -hmm. things like that. And so, you know, having a peer support network there, especially one that could be centered around physical activity, because we all struggle with physical activity maintenance, like most humans struggle with physical activity maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can see how helpful that would be and how useful that would be to see other people who are in your peer group, you know, that are mm -hmm. also uh, survivors would be, uh, uh, you know, just a, a fun, a great group to connect with um, to share kind of what you're, what you're doing and trying to do. Yeah, definitely. We know that um, social support and, you know, social support in general is, is important for physical activity, but in particular with cancer survivors, um, you know, a lot of desire for peer support um, around whether it's physical activity or just going through the experience, the shared experience of cancer, I think is a very powerful um, experience that um, in some of these studies and interventions trying to um, employ peers or you know, have peer volunteers to um, support engagement in the program and, and hopefully um, contribute to a more successful intervention, whatever the outcome may be. Well, it's, it's something I always tell my health psychology doctoral students. I'm like, look at the cancer literature if you want a model for, and cancer um, clinics, if you want a model for integration with <laughs> mental and physical health. I mean, the, 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 your area really, um, I think, trailblazed a lot of that, you know, bringing psychologists in, bringing mental health care in and getting it really involved very kind of early on. Um, and so, you know, I think that in, you know, I look at cardiovascular clinics and they're a little bit behind in a lot of these ways. And so, you know, I'm always looking to the cancer literature for inspiration of, um, how to do some of these things well. And it's so great to hear about these, uh, integration efforts and these focus on things that, you know, aren't just about, you know, the disease itself, but are about recovery and long-term health, mental and physical. And it's just, it's nice to see. Yeah. So 
one thing that you had talked to me a little bit about before we started recording was this award session that you're excited about. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you could tease that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, sure. So um, I told Matt I'm from Baltimore originally, grew up born and raised in Baltimore. So I'm definitely excited to return there as one of the first conferences after pandemic and be in my home city, Charm City. Um, but um, the PA SIG, which I'm also a member of, has a an award um, for local innovators. Um, so local innovators in the community where we're holding the conference. And so they award it to those organizations that have had an impact on the local community, have some national impact and have had partnerships um, and promoting um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and physical activity. And so there's one organization that I don't know if I can let the cat out of the bag, but I won't name them by name, but uh, a local organization in Baltimore that is focused on young adults with cancer Um that I nominated and I had actually been on their board a long time ago. And so I'm um, excited um, that they have been selected and will be receiving an award. I believe it's Thursday evening at the PA SIG um, business meeting. So thrilled for them and to highlight the exciting work that they do. So just an example, they um, speaking of peers, they have a cancer to 5k program, um, which is a, a a program for cancer patients and survivors to help train them to um, get up to, mm-hmm. to, to running a 5k or walking a 5k. Um, and so there's a lot of volunteers that they engage in local communities to help as they call Sherpas to help train um, the participants in those programs. And that program started in um, the Baltimore area, um, Columbia, so Howard County in Maryland, but they have now since built up that program to, um, so they have programs in various cities around the country, um, including Raleigh, North Carolina, um, near here where I am. So, so exciting for me to see their, their hard work and dedication um, rewarded um, as the local innovator this year. Oh, that's wonderful. I can't wait to see what this organization is uh, at the conference. And, um, you know, that what they're doing really incorporates a lot of the stuff that we talked about today. Uh, in terms of like, you know, peer support and physical activity and getting, you know, an integration and oh, it's just so, so wonderful. It sounds like they are a great charity and I can see why they uh, had you on the board for a period of time. Yeah, yeah it was, it was really an, uh, you know, honor and a privilege to, to work with them and they, um, you know, their focus on young adults specifically with cancer. Um, they're one of the earliest organizations, I think, to start um, sort of that movement and have been around for, um, I believe they just celebrated their 25th anniversary, which I think for nonprofit community-based organizations is a, is a lifetime for many of them. So, um, so, so great to, yeah. to see that rewarded. So, Amazing. Amazing. Well, Carmina, thank you so much for joining me and talking through all the massive amount of <laughs> cancer-related uh, work at SBM. Um, it's very exciting to hear what's going on. Um, I have a few students and uh, uh, who are very interested in this area, so I'll make sure that they hear this episode and yeah. keep an eye out for you if they're at SBM, um, because this has been uh, a pleasure. You. Yeah, I'd love to meet your students. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to highlight all this exciting programming. Um, I'm excited. I haven't seen um, you or a lot of colleagues in two years. And so I'm excited to kick this off and, and really look forward to, um, to convening in Baltimore in a few weeks.